Today's episode of the two-man power trip of wrestling is presented by Podgo. Podgo is the easiest way for you to monetize your podcast. Podgo is providing podcasters with a flat rate for ad space so you always know how much you get when you include an ad from Podgo. Apply today to become a member and immediately be connected with advertisers that fit your audience. That's podgo.co. That is one more time, P-O-D-G-O dot C-O, podgo dot co. The upcoming presentation is a two-man power trip of wrestling podcast production. What's up, guys? It's the phenomenal AJ Styles. You're listening to the two-man power trip. Hey, Johnny. Cool, man. What's going on? We ready to go or what? Podcast. Hello and welcome to the two-man power trip of wrestling. I am your host, GP John Paz, and with me today is a very special guest. He is a former WWC heavyweight tag team and TV champion, a former Pacific Northwest world TV and tag champion. He's been a tag team champion and world champion pretty much everywhere he's been. He's been in all Japan, WWE, WCW, and everywhere in between. He's Mr. Ricky Santana. Welcome to the two-man power trip. How are you doing? Pretty good, my friend. I appreciate uh, the invite. Uh, how are you all doing this evening? Not too bad. Uh, the weather's been a little crappy the last few days, like we were just kind of talking about. But uh, besides that, everything's been going pretty good. Well, that's good to hear. Good to hear. What have you been up to? What's been going on in your world? Uh, well, you know, in my world, I keep busy here on the uh, on the local level uh, down here in Florida with uh, a lot of the independents. I um, I'm involved with uh, WXW, which is uh, for the Wild Samoans promotion, um, Wrestling 2.0, which is Alex Porto's promotion, uh, the relaunch of CWF Reloaded, um, something that keeps me busy, trying to uh, pass on the uh, the knowledge that I've acquired over four years in the business. So you're still kind of involved? Do you still wrestle at all? Uh, no, I, <laughs> I try to avoid that. I'm not a not a spring chicken anymore. So what I do is, you know, I just uh, kind of help people out with, um, you know, uh, match productivity, creativity, character development, interviews. You know, just teaching the basics uh, for the younger generation that you know has aspirations like I did at one time. Are you officially retired? 
From the ring, yeah, pretty much. Uh, occasionally, I'll step in if it's you know if it's a good benefit for for charity or to help somebody out, you know. But uh, I think my uh, my days in the ring as an active competitor are, are, are pretty much behind me. So when you're doing creative and kind of the behind the scenes stuff, is that something that you're very comfortable kind of training the next generation and giving them the tools that they need? Uh, yeah, um, you know, I did that at uh, WCW for uh, for a while in, in WWE, um, and uh, I've back in the old days when it was called booking, I did book uh, Puerto Rico, um, uh, IWA Japan, and uh, out in the Pacific Northwest. So I'm pretty familiar with uh, you know all the aspects that uh, are being you know looked at and how the business has changed and. I started to keep up with everything that goes on to, uh, you know, help them out because, you know, obviously everything evolves uh, no matter what you're in and you have to keep up date to it. So with WCW and WB, you were an actual road agent producer behind the scenes? Yes, yes. I didn't realize that. That's interesting. So when did you yeah. kind of start? I guess it was probably with WCW first or as a road agent, I'm, yeah, I'm going to guess. It was, there was. Yeah, it was WCW first, uh, being as as an agent, part of that creative. And then when uh, uh, WWE bought out WCW, um, I came on board to WWE um, as a as an agent producer. And then uh, I moved on. But prior to that, I had booked in Puerto Rico for WWC, Carlos Colon's office. And like I said, out in the Northwest part of that creative with uh, Lynn Denton and uh, some input with uh, Rip Oliver. And then, of course, in you know, IWA Japan, I had uh, things there in Wing also. I did some of the booking for them. Pretty cool to be able to, you know, do different aspects of wrestling because if, you know, you're not wrestling or, or not doing the in-ring, you could still make a hell of a career outside of the ring helping you know, the next guys. Yeah, uh, that, that's the whole thing. I mean, like, uh, I came in a different era. I call it the road era because we did a lot of, lot of road traveling, but I got to work with some of the greatest minds in the business, and uh, I would pick their brain every chance that I could um, to learn, you know, all those aspects of the, of the business uh, once the actual in-ring career, you know, came to an end. With you... How did it start? Like, how did you get in? Was it through Florida? Was it through the Great Malenko? Uh, yeah, well, I went through Malenko, but I, I amateured, you know, uh, growing up with Florida Championship Wrestling and listening to Gordon and Soli and all the amateurs that were here at, uh, at the time, obviously the Briscoes, Danny Hodge, Joe Matsuda, Saido, Bob Roop, all of those gentlemen, you know, uh, embedded in my head as a young kid that, well, you had to be an amateur, so, you know, I did my amateur thing and then, you know, got in contact with uh, Malenko and, you know, went into training with him and then, you know, moved on and uh, got my feet wet as enhancement talent uh, for WWF. Um, had the privilege of having the Macho Man's first match when he got there and introduced Elizabeth. Also had that opportunity with Bret Hart and also had the opportunity with Terry Funk, if you remember correctly, when he put his hat on Melvin. Uh, Melvin put his hat on his cowboy hat, and Terry proceeded to pummel him. So it was a uh, it was a lot of firsts, and then you know I had an opportunity to go to my first territory 
um, working uh, with uh, Chavo Guerrero Sr. He used the book there and, you know, met people. Wahoo came to Florida, met Kevin Sullivan and moved on and got to work with Dusty and all those great minds and, you know, just kept my ear open and wanting to learn. So I picked up a lot of things along the way. So were you always a fan? Were you always, like, wanted to get into the business? Uh, yeah, I always say in a different ways before than I was before I was smart. Um, I saw, you know, Terry Funk defeat uh, Jack Briscoe for the world title in Miami Beach. And, uh, you know, I knew what I'd like to see, what made me mad, what made me happy. So when I got in into the business and, you know, was smartened up, finally, I, you know, had an idea of, you know, some sort of psychology just didn't have it groomed and mastered to the degree that, you know, time and, and experience in the ring working with veterans brings. So how did you actually, when you talk about being an enhancement guy for the WBF, how did you actually get in? Is that something that they set up for you down in Florida when you're done training? They kind of send you up there or how does that work or somebody contacts well, Vince McMahon? Yeah, well, um, it was a kind of like a, um, a three-part deal because I was at Malenko school as a gentleman um, that uh, was independent in Carolina is uh, no longer with his name is uh, James Eisler who knew a gentleman uh, that knew George Scott and George Scott had taken the book. Um, so he took the Florida guys from Malenko's, you know, establishment, uh, myself, Rusty Brooks, God rest his soul, uh, Cobal Kirshner, but at that time he was called R.T. Reynolds and Joe Murdo, an ex-Dolphin uh, uh, local, and we would go up there and, uh, you know, we'd perform and got to work with, uh, you know, guys that were, you know, obviously the cream of the crop at that time in the early 80s when Vince was acquiring everybody. And uh, it worked out that, uh, you know, we got to be good friends with Jerry Briscoe, um, and he's the one that sent me to uh, San Antonio. So that's how it all came about. Uh, you know, it was like the mafia. It's not what you know, it's who you know, and you did everything according to what they wanted you to do. So it worked out for me. <laughs> I still keep in contact with Jerry. Oh, that's great. Nice. Still keep in contact with all the guys. So when yeah. you, when, <laughs> like when you're there, you said you have a Macho Man's first match, you know, Brett's first match yeah. in and stuff. That's a big responsibility. Is that you're kind of like testing where they're at or like, how did that come about? Well, you know, I, I, I would always come there, always prepared. I, I, um, you know, back then you couldn't wear the same color tights as the top talent. And I always came, you know, with uh, different tights, different boots, different jackets, everything. You know, I, I came because I wanted to, demonstrate that I could be a professional and it, and it caught the eye of obviously George Scott and all the people that were there. Um, I got on Piper's pit because of the jacket I was wearing and became friends with Roddy after that, you know, and then, you know, no one came out in Portland um, doing stuff with Don Owens. So it, it all kind of worked out. I just was in the right place at the right time. I got a, a break and an opportunity and I, I took advantage of that opportunity um to give him my best and you know uh, like Jerry Briscoe said it was just you needing to hone your your craft you weren't going to do it if all the top talent was in one place 
needed to go somewhere else and learn it. And um, he's the one that got me started with that ball rolling. So, you know, I met a lot of people along the way. They kept recommending me and recommending me, and I kept going. With you and there, I mean, Macho Man Bright mentioned Terry Funk. You were in there with like, Jesse the Body, Greg Valentine. I mean, all, all the big names of the, of the era of the time. Yeah, of all of them. Uh, uh, Missing Link, Don Morocco, uh, Iron Sheik, uh, Nikolai Volkov. Um, you know, you can go round and around. And, you know, in that short stint that I was there doing all that, you know, I uh, had the opportunity to uh, get some exposure in front of a big crowd. Um, and it was easier for me to, to step into the ring and when I got to San Antonio, of course, listening to, you know, the Guerrero family, uh, working with all of them, even Gory, uh, it was an experience for me to be able to be considered to be in that same level, you know, uh, moving forward. Um, I look back at everything, and I've been very blessed and fortunate to have had that opportunity, um, not only, you know, in San Antonio, but when I came to Florida, when I went to uh, the Pacific Northwest, and then when I went to the Crockett's, you know, uh, Dusty, you know, put me on the, the national map, putting me in, uh, working uh, around the loop to see how I would fare with Flair. You know, I'd already worked with Arn and Tully and, and uh, you know, different tag situations and, you know, different things. Shane Douglas was my partner there for a while. So, you know, for me, it was just everything was a learning experience. Uh, I'm still, I, I watch everybody's program. I watch them all. And uh, I still learn because uh, Terry Funk told me a long time ago, he said, when you think you know it all, Sonny, it's time to get out. Very wise words. What do you think of the current product? Just to kind of talk about that, because you said you do still watch. What do you think about it? Uh, there's some, there's, Talent, I, I'm more of a storyteller and, and content. Obviously, uh, they're far better athletes than, than, than I could ever imagine I would ever be because some of the moves that they do, uh, I couldn't do them. Uh, that's for sure. Um, so you have to you have to give credit where credit is due. Uh, it's changed just like any other sport. You know, uh, back in its day in football, me growing up, everything was run, 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 barely through a pass. Now it's everything. It went to everything with you know Eric Coriel, and everything was a pass. And now all of a sudden, it's a combination of pass, you know, out of the backfield, running backs. Everybody's catching the ball, so everything evolves. And uh, the current, you know, there's some current good talent out there. Um, there's some good programming. There's a lot of competition now, you know, growing out there between WWE, AEW, uh, Ring of Honor, and everything. And I think that's great because it gives the boys more options and places to work. You know, it's always good. Competition is always healthy. Do you think that it's changed, like, so much where it's not recognizable to, to like, your days? Because a lot of the guys of your era are like, oh, man, I can't watch anymore. It's changed too much. Do you think it's gotten that far, or not? it's not really that bad, as some of them like to say? Uh, you know, uh, for the guys in my era, they would probably say too many – too many spots, constant, no no opportunity to really, really develop a character um, as they did back in my day that uh, they would, you know, everybody had a style. They all didn't look the same. You know, everybody had their own persona. So it's 
kind of understandable. Um, but like I said, everything evolves and you have to understand that. Um, you know, I can look back at stuff from the, the 50s and 60s before, you know, <laughs> I even decided to watch it. And I look at it compared to today's and, you know, there's drastic change. You know, a, a backdrop used to be a finish. A drop kick was a finish. Now it's not. You know, it's, you know, just an, uh, some of the moves are, are forgotten. You know, rarely do you see, you know, drop kicks like you used to in my in my day. Uh, you know, or arm drags, <laughs> you know, things of that. Uh, you know, bills out of a corner, you know, hip tosses. You know, those are the things that change. Now it's, you know, Canadian destroyers and 450s and, you know, shooting star presses. But, you know, it's it's all part of the, the game of evolution, for sure. Do you think that with, like, the way it is today, I know they're making money in WB, you know, making more money, but do you think that the, the lack of storytelling and the lack of, like, the big stars and the larger than life, do you think that actually hurts them in the end? Because less and less people seem to be watching. Uh, you know, I, I think that if you have a good story um, is, is the key to anything, if you have the time to build. Uh, back in my day, you can make a story last four, five, six months. And then it got shorter and shorter, and it was going down to three months and two months. And, you know, it's going from pay-per-view to pay-per-view now. It's going from week to week. And I think some of the people um, that actually look at it, you know, as a, as a true fan, would like to see a little longer storyline or a little bit more character development or if they get called up not to see them, you know, not excel. So, you know, it's, it's, it's a thin line. It's a thin line between the two. I think that psychology and storytelling is very important. It's like a movie. Um, you have a good movie, people will see the sequel. If you don't, they've already figured it out. It's like, uh, seeing the elephant ride the bike at the circus. Once you've seen it one or two or three more times, you say, okay, I need something new. So you have to be able to tell a story. Do you think that wrestling can ever go back to the way it was? Where, you know, it's a little slower down. There's not um, 10 or 15 finishes in a match. You know, do you think it can go back or that's too far gone? I I, uh, I think if you have the... Uh, the great, great group of talent, because that, that is an art. Uh, I mean, back in my day, everything was called in the ring. You didn't, you didn't do everything, you know, uh, choreographed as it is in, in today's uh, wrestling world. Um, and there's, there's still talent out there that they can do that. They can actually dictate the pace of the match and, and moving forward. One that always comes to mind in my head is Randy Orton. He can dictate the story and control you know, the, uh, the the crowd reaction, which is very important. But, you know, he's third generation. That always helps, you know. <laughs> You've seen it for so long, and you can tell that story without having to do, you know, 9 million flying moves in a match or 15 false finishes, you know. Why did it change so much? Like, you know what I mean? Like, is it just the, is it the fan base that made them change? Is it the wrestlers? Cause it's so much different than what, you know, when I'm growing up as a fan and, you know, finishers, a finisher and, and everything like that. Yeah. I, I think that, um, once it got to the point where there were the, like anything, like the internet was exposing a lot of the things, 
uh, people are wanting more and more and more. And I always like to compare it to the uh, the basketball and the three-point shot. Uh, back in the day, you didn't see all those shots from half court outside of the key. Everybody was driving in the paint to score because it didn't matter if you made it from 80 feet out or from two feet out. It was still only two points. So they had to get the thing more exciting, get people involved. So I think they've stepped it up to that point. But at what point is enough is enough, you know, because you still have to outdo. If you got five basic moves in your arsenal and you do them every match, how long will the people continue to want to see those same five basic moves? Some people can pull it off. Some people can't. So it's kind of like depending on the talent. Um, Me personally, I'd like to see it slow down a little bit. I'd like to see it be a, a, a little more, um, story and, and, and credibility to the business. That's just my own opinion. Do you think that a lot of the guys just, I don't know, psychology-wise, are just totally dropping the ball? They love, the, you know, like the little pop or, or the fans chanting, this is awesome. You think that's kind of a detriment, too? Because back in the day, I mean, they were, like, in, emotionally invested. I mean, they're booing the heels, cheering the faces. They were getting invested. Now they're, like, almost want to get claps and cheers. Yeah, I call it the, the self-recognition chant. You know? mm, yeah, um, well said. But, yeah, you know, but back in my day, if, if you were the heel and people were throwing stuff at you, spitting you and calling you every name in the book, you were getting your heat, you know, if they wanted to come over the rail and, you know, and, and, <laughs> and want to get at you. Um, but, you know, it, it has changed, you know, it's, it's awesome for who? Is it awesome for the, the fan because they feel like they're dictating what's going on inside the ring? Or is it just, you know, you need your, your, your ego stroke to hear this is awesome? Um, you know, you control. I've always, I, I learned that at an early, at an early point in my career with, um, Bob Orton, uh, uh, junior, not senior, uh, like the difference there. Working in there, and back in my day, the chant of this is boring was like death, you know. And I remember one night in my hometown of Miami, uh, you know, started off, you know, really, really hot. And then all of a sudden, you know, it slowed down and he grabbed the rear chin lock and they started chanting boring. And, you know, I'm new to the business. I don't want nothing to be boring. And they just sat there and Bob said, boring, I'll show you boring. And he whispered in my ear, we ain't moving for 10 minutes, kid. And we didn't. And we controlled the crowd, not what they wanted, but what we wanted them to believe and want them to buy and want them to pop. And, you know, that, that, that showed me in my mind that it's like, you know, the ventriloquist is the one that controls the dummy, not the dummy controlling the ventriloquist. So I've always thought that in my head that you dictate the pace of what you want to do and you dictate how you want. Yes, you take into consideration what they're buying, but the part that they're buying for me is my interview, my persona, my character, how I come across my entrance. That's what I want them to buy. Because, it's, you know, it, once you get into the ring, you could have the greatest hype in the world, but if you can't work, you're still going to get booed out of the building. Right. It's interesting that uh, they were Chan Boring, and he almost does the opposite of what you think he would do. That's great. Yeah, absolutely. It is. It is. You know, 
in your mind, you're thinking, boring. Well, what, what, what am I missing? What am I missing? What am I missing? And, you know, you deserve it. You deserve it. I deserve what? You know, <laughs> I mean, I've been working my, my whole life to get to a plateau. Uh, I would rather hear, I've earned it. <laughs> Not that I deserve it, you know, but it's the way it uh, it goes. And, you know, it, you have to deal with the change in the times and you have to be able to 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 adapt and make the best of it. You know, the consummate professional can adapt to any situation at any given point in time. So that's how I see it. Good lesson. It's like, right? Ted, you yeah, got, you got taught. It's like, nope, I'm controlling them. Yeah. And then, then you know, Bob Orton Jr. just, he took control and he, he says, now listen, kid, I'm going to teach you. And he was talking to me, you know, and he did. He, he, he taught me that. He goes, do you hear that? Ready? I remember him saying it like it was yesterday. Well, cake's in the oven, kid. It's ready. Let's go. And we hmm. went, you know, did our thing. And, you know, I did everything I was supposed to do. They were happy with it. You know, it kind of opened the door for uh, me to get a little bit more experience, a little bit more uh, of a feel for what the business was about back then. So, you know, it, it, it worked out for me. Um, you know, I didn't get discouraged. I, I, I wanted to succeed. I wanted to be able to wrestle uh, the Mexican style, the strong style of Japan, the blood and guts of Puerto Rico, the rounds of Europe, you know, in South Africa, you know, obviously the the, the territories with the baby face and the heel in my era. And I got to accomplish that. So uh, I've, been, I've been pretty fortunate. I call myself kind of like a, uh, a Latin Lone Ranger um, because <laughs> I, I wanted to learn and, and go everywhere, you know. And, yes, I didn't headline a WrestleMania or nothing like that, but, you know, I, I enjoyed my career and, you know, cemented uh, for me, you know, my own uh, attributes that I wanted to accomplish, you know. that's uh, Those are the things that are important <laughs> when yep. you're in it, you know, because it can be so short-lived on, on one sole swoop. Just kind of going back to when you really were, were young in the business, back in uh, San Antonio, when you're uh-huh. down, you're down there, right? You were the hood, right? Or the hoods? You were, yeah, you guys, yeah, you guys yeah. were a team. Yeah, yep. We, I came in first, and then uh, Tony Torres came in from Mid South, and we were working with uh, young Shawn Michaels. He was 18, and Paul Diamond, and uh, we were there and, uh, under the tutelage of uh, Chavo Senior. And uh, I asked a lot of questions um, every night, you know, because I was a heel so I could ride with Chavo. And it was like, you know, he gave me the moniker of Mr. Booker. You know, you always want to know everything. Why are we doing this? Why are we doing that? Why are we doing this? Why are we doing that? And uh, I said, because I want to learn. I want to understand. I want to understand everything that's going on, you know. Then, you know, I get to Charlotte and Kevin Sullivan lives with me. So, you know, it's kind of picking all these, these great minds, you know, and obviously working with Dusty, and, you know, but in the beginning of my career, you know, you, you, you want to become better. You, you want to learn and you want to, you know, get from the best. And that's what I tried to do. 
with Shawn Michaels at that point. He's very, very young. Did you see anything in him, or, or were you just like, eh, this is way too young to kind of see? Because obviously he becomes a huge, huge star. Did you kind of notice anything? Uh, he was he was a natural. He was a natural in, in the sense that we did everything, and, you know, uh, uh, Chavo Sr.'s mentality for the hoods, we, we would do the switch. It was kind of like the Twin Devils that they did in the Olympic Auditorium you know, in the, in the seventies. And, uh, you know, we were, we were on fire. We were doing it right. And they were doing it right. And the tag belts kept switching back and forth. And, you know, uh, eventually, you know, I left the territory, but you could see, I, you, you could see, you could see, you know, talent in, 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 in the rawest form that it was. And he wanted it, you know, he wanted to be the best. So, I guess he accomplished his his goal for sure, right? Yeah, he definitely is up there. No, no doubt about that. And it's funny, like, as you're kind of going along, still young in your career, but when you are in Florida, Great Mood is there for a little bit, but it's like all these big names, but they're so young and they're so untapped at that point. Yeah. Uh, when Muda first came in, he was the uh, um, Super White Ninja is what they had him at he moonsaulted, you know, and usually when I saw that movie was the man is standing and it's, you know, it's a Mexican catch type of thing. Mm -hmm. And then when he was doing it, you know, laying on the ground, it was like, wow, you know, that's, that's, uh, that's pretty impressive. And I remembered that. And then, you know, I ended up in, in Puerto Rico and, you know, the first title I won was the Puerto Rican championship and it was from, from Muda, and then I, uh, I went to Japan, and I did the took the hood, and I made, became the Ice Man for Wing, and I would moonsault. <laughs> hmm. So you know, it, it was impressive to, to to see that, and like you said, yeah, you know they're 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 they're, they're young, you know, and they're, they're coming across and you see them develop, and um, you know it's it was an experience that as I look back and I go, wow, you know. All this young young talent going through, and you know, here it is. They're becoming somebody. You know, it didn't matter what territory I was in; you could see it. You'd always see that. And there was always those guys that you look back and you go, "Wow, okay, here it is." You were such like a world traveler. I mean, if you really just look at the career, look at the resume. I mean, everywhere was that your goal to be everywhere, or is it just kind of the way it ended up? I wanted, like I said, I wanted to learn every style. I wanted to work every way that I could, um, you know, and I was fortunate enough to, to be able to do that. And, you know, it was an experience that uh, if I had to do it again, I'd still do it that way, um, you know, with only hoping that the experience I learned along the way would have been quicker. <laughs> you know, hindsight's always twenty twenty, so I would have liked to have had that. But yeah, I have no regrets. Everything was in timing and, you know, when it's time was supposed to be. So it worked out for me. With Portland, how did you get in? Like, I'm always curious, like, when the guy goes from one territory to another, is it like the wrestler itself or is it the promoter saying, hey, I need somebody? Or is it the promoter from the first territory saying, hey, maybe you want to want to work with this guy? Like, how do you go from one territory to another? Uh, well, I'll give examples for myself. I uh, I met Wahoo in San Antonio. 
yeah, come in for some 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 shots and everything else. And uh, he saw me. Says, "Hey, kid, when you finish here, I'm booking in Florida. Give me a call." So that's how that worked out. But in Florida, uh, they had changed the bookers when I was there, and my time was up. And um, I was working with uh, Fidel Sierra down there. He's a Cuban assassin, and he had strong connections out in Oregon and uh, with Rip Oliver. And he put in the word, and they gave me a start date, and I went out there. Uh, from there, you know, coming back into the uh, the Charlotte territory, uh, working with the sheep herders, the bushwhackers. Uh, Luke had a connection in Puerto Rico, and he says, hey, when you're done here, I think you'd really, really do good in Puerto Rico. So, you know, they sent me there, you know, and a lot of all those travels, you know, obviously I met the funks and they're, you know, they sent me to Japan <laughs> and then working in and out of Puerto Rico and everywhere else. Well, then, you know, I get sent to, to Mexico, you know, and then out of there, I, you know, I go for auto once in Germany, leaving him. You know, I, I think it was word of mouth uh, ability to, um, work without being a headache. You know, it was all business. It was a way for me to support my family. And that's how I looked at it. It was my career. It was my job. And I tried to be professional in every sense. Um, never missing shots. Always giving you my word. Always giving my two-week notice. You know, when I was going to another territory. You know, I, I think that's how it was. Or how I was brought up in the business. And that's the way I've always done it. So it kind of works out in the long run. And, you know, I had, you know, I went into Portland, you know, on three different occasions. I went into Florida on two different occasions, obviously, uh, into Charlotte, then come back when it became WCW with talent. So I was in there. So, you know, it, it just repeat doing business the right way, I think, is what was my success for me to be able to get booked everywhere. With you and Puerto Rico, I mean, it seems like home away from home, right? I mean, you had such a great career, not only in IWA Puerto Rico, but, of course, WWC with the Colognes. I mean, what a resume there. Yeah, yeah, it was uh, it was my uh, home away from home. Um, I would always use it as a base. No matter where I went, I would always come back. Um, doors have always been open. Um, still keep in contact with Carlos, you know. And his and his kids, you know, um, because it, it's a relationship that's been built since the late '80s. So yes, uh, it was very successful for me, and you know, I did you know, had his book on several different occasions. Um, so yeah, and you know, everybody has that one. Um, for example, like I'm saying, Fidel Sierra is Portland, you know, and 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 some of the guys was Florida, some of the guys were the Carolinas. You know, back when there was territories, so uh, it worked out really, really well for me. I was, you know, I was well received in Puerto Rico from the first time I got in, even to the, you know, the last time and left, you know, the late '90s when I went to WCW. So, with worked Fid out real good. Yeah, absolutely. And with Fidel Sierra, I feel like that's a obviously uh, the Barrio Brothers, if you will. I mean. Uh, the yep. Cuban assassin. He's such a great relationship. When did you first kind of meet him? Because you guys are, it almost seems like connected at the hip for, for a long time. Uh, yeah, well, I met him in Florida. He was coming through. He was on his way um, to Japan. and You know, he lived in Tampa. He's a West Tampa boy. So, um, 
got into the got into the ring. He was on the, the TV, and he was just passing through. And uh, you know, I didn't I didn't know he was Cuban. I thought of, you know, back in those days, people had gimmicks. They were just gimmicks, you know. So I I, I actually I was kidding about. I said I thought you were Mexican. So, you know, he called Ram Dragon. I gave him a Mexican one, and it was like, what are you doing? Bah, 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 bah. So I had him that night in Miami Beach because that's how it was Wednesday morning. You would do TV. And then Wednesday night, you'd be at Miami Beach from Tampa. And Alfonso uh, was a referee. He came over and gave me the finish. And he says, Cuban's got one question for you. And I said, yeah, what's that? And he goes, do you know who Jack Briscoe is? I said, what are you nuts? Of course I know who Jack Briscoe is. Who doesn't know who Jack Briscoe is? Right. And he says, okay. So we go to the ring and he goes, if I'm, he tell you. He said, yeah. And he says, so you know Jack Briscoe? I said, yeah. He says, okay, give me a Jack Briscoe arm drag, which is a steamboat style and everything else, which Jack was the uh, innovator of that pretty arm drag. And I gave him one with the bridge and the whole bit. And uh, he says, oh, now we can work, kid. And you know, we became the, the best of buds and been on the road for, you know, uh, a friendship that's been over 35 years. <laughs> we still talk just about it. Well, we do. No, we do every day. We always check in. And do you still live close to each other or, or no? Uh, I, I live in Orlando. He lives in Tampa, but I work in Tampa. So on my ride he just gives me on my own way home he'll give me a call hey how's it going how's your day you know how's the family you know just checking in and uh same thing i do with uh with haku he works with me in tampa and he lives over here in, in Kissimmee area which is neighbors to orlando here in florida and every morning we go over check everybody's alive and everybody's doing good and you know we we thank the good Lord that we're fortunate that we can see each other still. Now with Haku, I mean the the legendary stories are they true or are they they myth with a lot of the stories with Haku? Nah, now that man is is no joke. Um, he's he's a great guy. He he is true. I've known him over over thirty five years because you know we lived in the same area. We crossed each other at the airport. Uh, he's seen my girls grow up. I've seen his boys grow up, and um, he's got a big heart. Um, he's no nonsense, you know. He he he'll tell you what he thinks, and um, you know he's he's everything you've you've heard. They're not exaggerated. He's that tough a guy, but you know, he's, if he's not provoked, he's the greatest guy in the world. I'm glad to say he's my friend. Now, like pulling out eyes, stuff like that. I mean, that—that's not exaggerated. That he's really like, you know, when he would snap, he would—he would really snap. Yeah, when when you know when he got to that point where you know, and I think everybody has a snapping point. And I think once you see like the, the red and the bull's eyes, you know, you, you you know it's it's coming to to defend. Does it make it right? Does it make it wrong? Well, that's just depending on your situation and, and what you believe and what you don't, you know, I mean, um, he's a, he's a good, good man. He's a family man and he's protective of the people that he loves. So, you know, if you're on the wrong side of the fence, then I feel for you. <laughs> I really do. Uh, I just, like I said, I, I happen to be on a different side of the fence because of the relationship that we developed 
over the years. And when we were in WCW together and I was an agent, you know, I had his matches. So, you know, it was one of those things that, you know, like the one with Fidel, you know, got a great relationship with him. So we see those stories like, nah, it can't be true. And then everyone says, no, they're true. He really is that tough. Don't mess with him, stuff like that. So you always, you know, with wrestlers, you always kind of take it with a grain of salt, but everyone keeps saying the same thing. So you almost have to believe. Yeah, it's, it's, <laughs> they're, they're, not, they're not exaggerated stories, like fishing stories, as I like to call them. <laughs> With uh, Fidel Sierra, what like what was it like about him with like the chemistry you guys? Because obviously you said you've been friends for over thirty five years. What was the the chemistry like with him? Like like different than a lot of guys? Because you know they say wrestlers basically on your hand you can count your true friends. Yeah, and, and for for the two of us because we were in the car and traveling up and down and seeing the matches and critiquing and knowing when we had an off night, knowing when we had a great deal, knowing we we could draw, you know, what we needed to draw. I, I think it was a benefit that we were, you know, those long road trips so that you could, you know, discuss the good points, the bad points, knowing what was going on. I think it solidified us as, as working as one instead of four individuals in a tag match. So when you're kind of going through in, in Puerto Rico, for instance, and you're saying different style, mm-hmm. what is like the Puerto Rican style? Because you said like it's a lot of blood and guts, but it really is. And, and I think everyone has like vivid memories of, of riots, fans really taking it for real, throwing batteries, tough to get out. Is that yeah. kind of your experience yeah. as well? Yeah, they, 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 they were there. I mean, like I said before, the Internet, the exposure and everything else. They would throw spark plugs and, and they'd, they'd be kids out selling bags of rocks, making money for people to throw. They have these little real, real hard lemons that uh, feel like rocks, too, that they, they used to throw and, you know, fans and craziness. And I remember we were in Louisa and, and Bronco made a comment and uh, we were walking out to the car myself, Kenny Kendall and Jungle Jim Steele, and you hear the bang, bang, and they were on the ground, you know, and they go, did you hear that gunshot? I said, yeah, but they're shooting at the heels. They're shooting at us with baby faces. Come on, get up. <laughs> and that's how it was. You know, that's how it was, and they were like, what are you nuts? I said, no, man, I'm being serious. Come on. Look, they're burning this car. Come on, it's getting ours. Let's go. That's how it was. They, they were, you know, it was a, if you were a heel, you had to be a heel. <laughs> That's for sure. You know, I've seen uh, some crazy stuff. Uh, Curtis Thompson, Chip the Firebreaker, he came in there from Calgary as um, uh, the White Angel. And he was coming in as a heel and he was with Cheeky Star, which is the big heel manager slash wrestler. And I remember telling Curtis, I said, Curtis, whatever you do, because we were, you know, do a lot of shows in baseball parks too, right? And I said, whatever you do, when you come out of the dugout, just keep going till you get to the third baseline. Don't stop. And he thought I was ribbing him, and he walked out there and zoom, boom. He goes, damn, what was that? And you know, he had a white hood on, and it was already all red. And uh, I remember Cheeky telling him, hey, right there, buddy, AC Delco. It was a spark plug. Oh, man. They would throw baby food jars. They, I've seen them throw 
diapers full of crap. You know, I mean, it, it was just crazy. It smelled out, but back in its heyday, oh, Lord, tough ordeal. <laughs> they took their wrestling very, very seriously. I mean, you, you always hear these crazy oh, stories. Why is that? Though? I mean, did they think they really perceived it as real? Or, like, what, what was, like, their... Oh, we, well, well they, they lived it to... There were separate dressing rooms. There was no association. You know, heels one side of the world, baby faces on the other. Never seen any of them close, not even anywhere. And if you were in a, a, a restaurant, you know, heels would be in one back corner, baby face completely on the other side of people waiting. And, you know, you just, you, li- you live the kayfabe. It was, you know, they would show people getting sewn up, you know, in the locker room. They would tape it, you know, literally. You know, when you got busted open the hard way, they just didn't show it. So the credibility was always there. And I think that was the, the, the big factor once, you know, Internet became into play and, you know, everybody exposing everything kind of changed the, the perception. Did you ever fear, like, when you were there, like, oh, man, this is going to end bad or how do, how do I get out of here? Any of that happened with you down uh, there? Yeah, when I turned heel, uh, I was a babyface for the longest time, and I turned heel with my old partner, Ray Gonzalez. Oh, yeah. Uh, and uh, I beat him up after the match. He got all his color. I said, here's your superhero, and I threw him back into the crowd. But I was walking right out the front door because it was TV with me and the four security guards, but there was, like, by the time I got to the door, 80 to 100 people outside throwing punches. So they stuck me in the TV truck. And they were starting to rock the TV truck. They broke the windows in the TV truck. And the director was in there Augustine. And he says, kid, I love you like a son, but I ain't dying for you. Because they literally told me through the door, you're not getting out of here alive. So I had to wait for the police escort, the SWAT team, to get me into my car all the way out to the interstate so I could get out. Wow, that's nuts. And obviously, uh, Ray Gonzalez, beloved babyface Puerto Rican hero, national hero there. Yeah, 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 exactly. He was at that time, you know, and then when he turned heel, it was like, you know, oh, my God, you know, what's what's the story here? But when I did it to him and and laid out and went, and then the very next night, uh, that Saturday, it was in the match at the baseball stadium, and I drove in through the back in a rental car in the middle of his match, got out, and laid him out again, got in the car, and as soon as I was flying out from the outfield, I had to go through the gate. They were throwing bricks, you know, cinder blocks at the car and everything else. So, yeah, it got pretty crazy, <laughs> to say the least. Yeah, I was going to say, my God, who got a fear for your life yeah. at this point. I mean, they're, uh, yeah. they're literally telling you they're going to kill you. Yeah, absolutely. And I remember when Conan uh, was down there and he busted the guitar over Carlos's daughter's head, Stacy. And we were in Umacao and we had to wait for the SWAT team to get us out. And I remember telling Conan, I said, listen, we got to walk all the way across because the entrance is only on one side. And I said, whatever you do, don't stop. Somebody punched him in the back of the head. He swung. Everybody was swinging. We get out to the car, it's just me and him, and I went out the back gate, and, you know, I'm screaming at him, telling him, if you don't move, I'm running you over. 
you know, and it was, you know, that was like, you know, busted her open. She got like eight or nine stitches in her head. So the guitar didn't get gimmicked. <laughs> Somebody forgot to gimmick the guitar and he busted it open the hard way. Wow. So it was crazy. Yeah. They wanted to kill him. They were, they were looking for him. And the same thing happened to Fidel. He's, he stepped on the Puerto Rican flag and we were, they were in Carolina. We had to put him on against Savio Vega, like second, because they called the office. They called the governors that they were going to make sure that Fidel never stepped foot on the island again. Wow. So, yeah, it was, yeah. it was just pretty, pretty, pretty crazy back in his day. <laughs> now, is that Car- uh, Carlos? Like booking that, or you know, who like whoever is basically saying like, oh, we're gonna build this heel heat up, like it's gonna be crazy, or is somebody saying let's let's eventually we gotta tone it down because somebody's gonna get uh, killed here. Uh, you know when when I turned, I was booking, <laughs> so I kind of knew what was coming. Um, I think Carlos at the time, I don't know if it was Dutch or Murdoch that was booking with with Fidel's thing with uh savio um you know it was just one of those things that you know the old philosophy get the baby face over 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 and then turn him heel and once he's he's a heel he's a heel he's a heel and turn him back baby face you know it always has been the formula so it worked down there uh you know for us and um it was definitely an interesting ride yeah with you it's funny like we're talking about puerto rico blood and guts you're right i mean you really are traveling everywhere because then you do cmll in mexico uwa mexico but then you'll do all japan which is completely different than iwa japan where you're doing like death matches and stuff so i mean you literally could be like interchangeable doing every style ever really yeah and that was my goal (laughs) when i first started out to be able to work whatever style was necessary. I remember going into um, South Africa, and they were doing rounds in, uh, in Joburg at the time, and I'm like, rounds? This isn't boxing, you know, but I had to adapt and, and, and learn that. And then going into work in Germany for auto wants and being in the same building, you know, for three weeks. You know, you'd walk to the building, you know, and they played the circus music as the intro for the ceremony every night. You know, it was just different, <laughs> but uh, a learning experience to say the least. With that and in like death matches and stuff, I mean, that's got to be completely different for you, right? I mean, when when you're wrestling the Headhunters and, and Leatherface and Cactus Jack, I mean, that, that's got to be like a completely different ball game. Yeah, completely different, especially because they took it. You know, I had been in Bob Warren matches um, in Florida with the Sheep Herders and in Puerto Rico, but when we got to uh, Japan in that hardcore, the actual ropes were gone. It was just all Bob Warren wrapped around it. So it was a little bit different because the other way you used to have the Bob Warren around the rope, so you could still kind of work a match without having to worry about it. You hit the Bob Warren, it breaks you're engulfed in it, you know what I mean? It was uh, different, and, you know, the bomb matches that they had, the glass matches, and it was just just completely different um, 
thought process that you have to mentally prepare for, obviously. What was the favorite like territory you worked for? Because, I mean, we're talking about you've worked San Antonio, Florida, Portland, uh, out there in L.A. You worked, obviously, for the Crockett's, like we mentioned. Uh, you got all Japan, yeah. Wing, uh, WWC Puerto Rico, UWA, CMML, IWA Puerto Rico, uh, CWA in Europe. I mean, what was your favorite territory that you worked? You worked everywhere. Yeah, you know, that, that, there was always something good about every territory that I had worked in. Um, so, you know, I always liked the all Japan style, um, because it was more of that strong style and amateur moves. I really, really enjoyed it. One of the better territories to work in, even though the, you know, the, the, the craziness down in Puerto Rico, all the trips were short. Shows didn't start till 8.30. You worked five days a week. You're on the beach every day. You know, that's like paradise. It's like, you know, if you were, ever worked to Hawaii, you know, with my Venus territory back in its day, you know, you couldn't go wrong with that. Um, the Northwest, the fans were great. You know, short trips there, too. You know, occasionally you'll have those those crazy long trips in Idaho, but those are, you know, maybe every two months or something like that or three months. But, you know, uh, I learned a lot in the Crockett territory. I really liked it because you work, you know, West Virginia, Virginia, Ohio, North Carolina, South Carolina, Georgia. So, you know, every place that I went, obviously, it had a benefit for me. Uh, I really enjoyed it. There wasn't really anywhere that I had been that I said, you know what, I don't really want to be here. For me, you know. With... You know, you being the world traveler and, and traveling everywhere, did you want to continue to travel or did you want to find like a home base? I wanted to find eventually a home base. Um, and I was hoping, you know, when I first broke in that that would be the Florida territory, but that didn't occur that way. And, uh, you know, I, I did get tired of the travel. Um, after a while, you know, it, it becomes old hat, you know, you know, how many, you know, 16 hour flights to Japan do you want to take in a year or, you know, or to India or to South Africa, you know, those are some long trips, um, you know, being away, you know, on the road three, four, five weeks and then coming home, you know, it, was, it catches up to you after a while. So for me, as my daughters are starting to, you know, to really get into high school and boys coming around, kind of worked out best for me because I became, you know, the agent part of it and would be, and be home, you know, after the, the TVs because the business had changed from bookings and uh, worked out. I, I think, like I said, I've been very blessed to have my career work out the way it did. There's been highs and there's been lows, like anything. You know, not every day was picture perfect and rosy, but you know, for the most part, I don't have any complaints. How did you actually end up in WCW? Uh, well, that was a whole other venture. I was down working for IWA and did the angle where I was uh, loser leaf town for 30 days, I think, or 60 days, something like that. I had some uh, minor surgery to get taken care of. And then... Um, John Laurinaitis left all of Japan and went to WCW uh, and he gave me a call and I thought it was to be the in-ring. He said, I need you to you know, come in. 
I said, okay, you know, he says, but I don't need you to work. I said, okay, how's that work? And he said, well, I need you, you know, agent, producer, that and the other. And um, that's how I got into that creative side, the agent side, um, because I had, like I said, I had booked in different places before, and I went into there, you know, and I've known John since he broke in in 87. So the three guys that uh, I've known <laughs> for 35 years or more, I, you know, keep in contact with. With WCW too, when you're wrestling there, I think everybody kind of remembers more or like recent fans, the Barrio brothers and putting you guys together. I think you guys were the specialistas for a little bit there, but um, was anything yeah. ever like destined with the Barrio brothers? I know you get tag title shots against like Luger and Sting and American males and stuff, but anything ever destined more for you guys? Um, there was, but at, but at the time, um, you know, we were, uh, you know, being realistic, we were toward the end of the peak point in the career. You know, we're talking about mid to late 90s, you know, going in there and, and, and doing that. And uh, we were hoping, we were hoping for some more. We had some conversations um, with Eric Bischoff before the Mexican uh, uh, influx that came through in, in, in that time frame. And, um, you know, we were hoping for something more, but, you know, it wasn't. And, you know, we had Mexico, we had Japan, Puerto Rico, so we just kept moving. You know, can't rely on just one door staying open all the time. I would have liked to. Um, I had my first true opportunity uh, back in 89, and I was getting ready to sign a three-year deal, um, and I blew my knee out. So that went out the window. It was me and Pillman. Uh, God rest his soul, me and Brian were a tag team. And I blew my knee out in that match um, in Savannah, Georgia. And uh, Tom Zink took the spot. God rest his soul. And, you know, it worked out for Tom. And it worked out for me because, you know, then I went to Japan. I went to Mexico. and went to Germany. <laughs> so... Uh, everything happens for a reason and a purpose, for sure. And correct me if I'm wrong, but did you guys make a brief little stint in ECW against uh, Doring and Roadkill? Uh, yeah, we, we, they were coming through Florida, and we did the loop with them there. And, uh, you know, it was, you know, we were in between, I don't know if it was in between Mexico or Japan or anything, we were home. And uh, we went in there and, you know, worked out uh little stint there and get a payday before you head back out, you know, strictly business for sure. I think you were just you trying a lot to... of research, my friend. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, man, I, cause you wrestled everywhere. I was like, no, nah, there's no way you wrestled ECW. Cause I was just trying to think it's like WBF, uh, WCW, like every league you wrestles like now. And then I was like, Oh my God, I think he did wrestle in ECW. He's like, man, he literally wrestled yeah. everywhere. Holy crap. Yeah. Yeah. I wonder if there's anybody that has wrestled in more uh, territories or more places. I wonder. It's crazy. The the only place, the only territory that, that I really didn't work was the Memphis territory. Hmm. And uh, I had was working out to go there, me and Ray, when we were, you know, the, the tag team in Puerto Rico. Um, but Ray didn't want to go because I was getting ready to take us into Memphis. Because, <laughs> uh, you know, I had... Uh, I knew um, Steve Kern and Stan Lane, so 
you know, to, could have worked out. It's the only place that I, I didn't go into, but yeah, <laughs> for the most part, I just about everywhere. When you become a road agent in, in, in WCW, and then obviously we were talking about before, eventually WB, like is the, the role of the road agent or the producer, is it to make sure that you're whatever the, the boss is, the hierarchy wants, you're passing it along and they have to execute or what, what's like the, the real role behind that? The real world behind it is, you know, the, the creative team has has their vision of what they're going to do with the two talents, where they're going to have everything. And your job is to, one, if they have a backstage segment, make sure it stays in context with the storyline that they're trying to, you know, promote. Um, make sure that uh, the finish that's in the ring for the talent is what's going to move it to the next level of the story. So you have to know the talent's abilities and capabilities of what they can do and what they can't do so that when it's laid out, it makes sense to what the bigger picture is. So you have to kind of, you know, be on top, uh, have to relay all that information to the truck so they don't miss anything. Uh, My big thing was why do a big move if nobody sees it? So I wanted to make sure if there was any big moves I had, you know, knowledge of it, I would let the production truck know that, hey, look, they're doing this big dive, they're doing this, so they wouldn't miss it. And, uh, you know, made sure that everything went into sequence with what was the end result of the picture from the production meeting. As we hit the wind down and, and head towards the finish, I know we were talking about a lot of the guys you wrestled. I'm always curious because, you know, if, you, if I want to go back and look it up on YouTube and make a little playlist or something, but what are some of the favorite matches or favorite opponents that you had? Well, obviously, Flair, uh, first time working with him in Louisville. Um, Arn Anderson, Tully Blanchard um, as a tag team. You know, working in, with the Crockett's and then getting the established in Dover. Uh, the 20 minute Broadway with Mike Rotondo for WCW's uh, television title. Um, in the ring with the Rock and Roll Express in Florida as a Cuban connection. Um, working with the Midnight Express when Mike Rotondo turned heel and walked out with Kevin Sullivan. You know, I, you know, in the ring with Terry Funk, a match that had nothing to be called other than punch and kick and everything, uh, setting it up for his big match between him and Flair after he had Paul drive um, Flair through the table. Um, I, th- I think it was a clash of champions, if I remember correctly. Um, you know, working those types of matches here in the States was, was that. Uh, in Mexico, uh, all the hair matches that uh, I had won until finally losing the one that I, I had lost in the tag. Um in Japan, you know, working with Mossman for the junior title on my last tour to Japan. You know, uh, Leonardo wants his last tag team champions and therefore God rest his soul, Navy SEAL. You know, a lot, lot, lot of things, you know, going through, um, through my career that I can look back at. I've been fortunate enough to, you know, work with a lot of them are not here anymore, but, you know, I worked with Andre in Japan with, uh, Dr. Ness, Steve Williams, with Terry Gordy, uh, with Jumbo Ceruto, with the Giant Baba, my top, my tag team partner, my first tour, Doug Furness, he's no longer with us. Uh, you know, I just, you know, see a lot of the, of the talent that I worked with 
and you know they're they're leaving us. That that old school alumni is, is getting thinner and thinner. But you know, I I can't complain. You know, there wasn't. You know, somebody asked me, "Well, who's the guy that you never wanted to work with?" I said, "Well, I worked with the best of the best. There wasn't anybody." <laughs> Realistically, it wasn't anybody because they could all, you know, they all knew how to work. It was a different era. You learned how to work. So, you know, you can put a montage in there. And um, I was one of two guys in the Northwest Territory that held the tag title, the TV title, and the heavyweight title. The other guy, Fidelcia. Only two guys. Nice, your buddy. They had some talent going through. Yeah. And then they've had some talent go through there from Bobby Jaggers to Buddy Rose to Billy Jack to Brian Adams to Kurt Henning to Dynamite Kid. You know, and the list goes on and on and on and on <laughs> uh, out of that Northwest Territory. But there's only two guys. So, you know, I've had a lot of uh, accomplishments. Uh, first uh, Hispanic to be a road agent for WCW. I might be the only one for WWE. Um, that I can remember, you know, off the top of my head. So, you know, I've I've made some inroads that I'm that I'm proud of. Um, you know, if there's anything left that I would like to do, I'd like to be an ambassador for the business. Um, whether it be, you know, obviously WWE, um, even AEW, you know, just to be able to do that and, and, and be out there and you know, promote promote the business multiple business and, the, and you know the good things about it being that I've been a lot of places and I am bilingual that always helps too and you mentioned before the Latin Lone Ranger you literally were everywhere yeah. in, in every territory it's crazy crazy <laughs> what a run what a career that, that's for sure so with you you know just kind of looking back would you say you know you lo- love the business, like you said before, no regrets or anything like that? I don't have any regrets other than, you know, I I, I would have loved to work on a WrestleMania card, um, even if it was just about a oil, just to say that I did. Um, pretty much, you know, a few mistakes along the way that I could have done better, um, but those are things that are going to happen in the business if you're in it for any length of time. And, uh, you know, uh, it, it's it's a passion of mine. You know, I've, ever since I was a kid, ever since my dad took me to the first match in Madison Square Garden, um, which is which is something ironic, too, because on that card, there was two young guys um, on that card, you know, back then that are in the Hall of Fame now. One is Johnny Rods, and the other one is Carlos Clone, and they were working against each other on that card because Bruno was the headliner against George Steele when my dad took me. Wow. And awesome. Going to Miami beach. Yeah. When my, when I went to Florida and went to Miami beach, um, my dad would take all the kids in the neighborhood to that building. And then for me to be able to take my dad and buy him a ringside ticket in the building that he took me to as a kid and have him watch me. And I was on the cover of the program. That was a highlight for me, you know, from father to son, um, you know, my dad passed away at an early age of my life. So uh, those memories I, I hold dear. And, uh, it was one of those things that you say, man, I've, I've, I've done a lot 
I've gone full circle. I may not be a Hulk Hogan or a Ric Flair, but I, I think for what I wanted to do, um, I accomplished a lot. No doubt about that. As far as any plugs or social media or anything, do you have anything out there or anything you want to promote? Uh, you know, just here in Florida or anywhere, you know, realistically, if you have local independents, go out and support them. Um, everybody has a starting point, and that necessarily means that's your end point. But there's a lot of good talent running a lot of, of smaller independents. And here in Florida, you know, if you get a chance, go to a WXW show. Uh, go to a, a Pro Wrestling 2.0, which is Alex's. Obviously, WXW is is off of the Wild Samoans. And, um, you know, go out and see that. You know, that CWF Reloaded, you know, Kevin's involved with it, you know, and I'm involved with it too, along with Fidel, because we were here in the Florida Territory. Uh, and if you get farther down south in that Fort Lauderdale, CCW with Pablo Marquez and and they uh, they do a lot of work. And then now in Puerto Rico, you know, you have Latin American wrestling entertainment. So you have a lot of people involved there from different places. And, you know, they're all all family members as far as I'm concerned. So go out there and support uh, everybody, you know, because there's, uh, there's a lot of wrestling to be seen, a lot of talent to be discovered. Well said. Mr. Santana, thank you so much. I appreciate all the time tonight. Great stuff. Thank you. I appreciate you. Uh, yep, the opportunity to, to tell my story, um, and I do appreciate the time. and uh, been a very pleasant uh, interview, to say the least. That is for sure. All right, my friend, and I uh, you know, wish you all the best. And keep the ratings up on your show. I see that you got a lot of, uh, a lot of good ratings and a lot of good feedback. So stay on top of it, my son. We need more people like that. Thank you. Will do. Thank you. We appreciate that. All righty. Well, you have a great rest of the evening. And, uh... This has been a John Paz Power Trip production in conjunction with the Two Man Power Trip of Wrestling. You can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Two Man Power Trip. You can check us out on Facebook. You can subscribe on YouTube. You can go to patreon.com slash tmptempire to become a patron. And also check out the website tmptempire.com and buy a shirt at prowrestlingtees.com. Two-man power trip where the power lies, brother.